myself again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn You look back and it's all in the past I'm dwelling on the thoughts I cannot say to you Hi, welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. It is the latest in the long line of dream teams and delighted to say we've got John Gibson joining us today to give us his all-time Newcastle 11, his substitute and his manager. John, I bet this has been a, a labour of love for you. Oh, I loved every minute of it and I, I could have picked three teams, Steve, because yeah. for every position you say, ah, but what about him? And what about how on earth can I leave him out? For example, you look at centre-forwards, number nine legends, Newcastle United. How many of them could you pick? You know, it, it's been, but it's been a wonderful uh, exercise. I was delighted you come up with the idea because I've enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. Fantastic. OK, well, without further ado, let's uh, let's get cracking and let's look at your goalkeeper, John. Yeah, uh, I've got to go for Shea Given. For me, he stands out above anyone else. Uh, absolutely outstanding, great shot stopper, a man who would have beaten the all-time appearance record for Newcastle United if he'd stayed on. But, uh, you know, he felt at the end he was so frustrated with a, a lack of progress of Newcastle, haven't we heard that so many times before, that he left. But he was within shooting distance of taking the record of Jimmy Lawrence uh, ironically, another goalkeeper. It's always goalkeepers who have a long life, Steve, isn't it? You yeah. know, because of age, etc. They, they have a longer life than other people. And so he, he, it was there to be taken. And I mean, the sadness is that Shea's a great friend of Alan Shearer. And if Alan Shearer took the goal scoring record, it would been great if Shea had taken the appearance record. But it was not to be. And um, lovely lad. Uh, terrific lad Had a lot of competition in, in his time From people like Steve Harper to, That he had a fend off to, to stay in the Newcastle team Of course we used to, I used to take the mick out of him regularly As a, the only Irishman Who had no idea where Dublin is <laughs> if, you, if you remember Dion Dublin Remember that one When, uh, when Shea came out Collected the ball And Dion was behind him and he was looking on what to do with it, flicked it in the air to kick, and the Dublin came round the side of him, flicked it in the goal. So uh, I, he loved that one, the only Irishman that doesn't know where Dublin is. But, I mean, he was he was outstanding for us. I mean, there were goalkeepers, because I've had this longevity as a, both as a fan, for going way back to the 50s, Steve, as a fan, watching Newcastle win the Cup three times in five years as a kid, to then reporting on them regularly since uh, 1966. Other goalkeepers are coming to your thought. Inevitably, the two 50s Cup final goalkeepers, Fairbrother and Ronnie Simpson, have got to... Simpson had a wonderful career, went on and played for uh, Lisbon Lions with Celtic. And got a cap for Scotland, age 40. Your first cap, age 40. Incredible. Willie McFall, of course, a Fairs Cup winning goalkeeper. Tim Krul deserves an honourable mention for me. Your mate, Cernicek, has got to be given a mention. Very, very special. Pav is a Jody. Bless him, a, a Czech Jody. That'll do for us. And he, he was a Jody. All those people have came very much into my thoughts. I know Jackie Milburn thought Fairbrother 
was absolutely outstanding in the best of his era. But share giving for me. Great stuff, great start, and uh, synonymous with a lot of the uh, dream teams that we've had over the uh, over the last couple of years on this show. Uh, okay, back four then. Uh, let's start with your right back. Yeah, you, yeah, my old mate uh, David Craig. I must go for there because David was way ahead of other players. Uh, in his era, fullbacks were fullbacks. They were essentially defenders. And that was the job they had to do, and they did that job. But he could overlap uh, with the silky touch of a midfielder. Uh, wonderful, beautiful on the ball. Um, but he made 412 appearances for Newcastle, Steve. And yet, he missed so much through injury. He had problems with his hamstrings. Uh, he was in the Newcastle side that won promotion under Harvey to come up into the top division and, of course, the great side that won the European Face Cup. But he missed both the 70s Cup finals at Wembley because of injuries. Tragedy, 74 FA Cup, 76 League Cup. Um, and he would have, so 412 appearances would have been so much bigger and so much more deserved because he was absolute quality. Who had to be considered with him? Well, quite a few, actually. Bobby Cowell, who people never think of, Steve, because he wasn't a flamboyant right-back. But he, he, he was. there was three guys that played in all three cup finals at the beginning of the 50s that we won. Two of them, everybody's able to name because it were Milburn and Mitchell, the two great forwards. The one that they can't name is Bobby Cowell, the right-back, who was the best, best friend of Joe Harvey, and that went on throughout the playing career and Joe as manager. Cowell was always at the game supporting Joe. So there was Cowell was Irving Natwas, whose ability was incredible. Irving, a big mate of mine, he was uh, godfather to one of my girls. He could play anywhere over the back four or midfield and was absolutely comfortable. Steve Watson, Barry Venison. Dick Keith, if you go far enough back, uh, Neil MacDonald and all. But the interesting thing for me, Steve, is that I'm having to pick my dream team as we are today. But I think there's a player currently on Newcastle's books that if he stays here and plays a few more games, could become even bigger than David Craig. And how... how unlikely have we always thought that to be and that's Kieran Trippier I think he has the ability to become the best Newcastle right back ever if he stays at this club and plays enough games and there's three out of interest Steve that I would take in the current Newcastle squad who only joined us in January and therefore aren't in my dream team because I haven't been here long enough but could challenge for future dream teams. One's Trippier, one's Bruno, and 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 one is the centre half. The uh, yeah, the uh, blind bomber. And um, those three could force their way into future Newcastle sides. But for me, you can't look beyond David Craig right back. No, fantastic. Great uh, great start, solid start. Um, let's go to your centre-halves then, John. Who's your first centre-half? Yeah, two. Well, if the first choice, you start with musts that you have around and you think they must be. 
in my sight. And I can't look beyond Bob Moncur for somebody that's got to be in Newcastle's, uh, in my all time Newcastle side. He is personifies being a skipper um, without a shadow of doubt, probably the best skipper Newcastle have had. Um, he, a terrific organiser on the field on match days and Monday to Friday in the dressing room behind the scenes. The perfect link between the dressing room and the manager, Joe Harvey. And ironically, he was in Joe Harvey's image, if you like, both in the way that he skipped the side, in his looks, in his toughness, uh, everything about him was, uh, was the young version of Joe Harvey. Um, and Bob was, I was very, very close to Bob. I, I ghosted his autobiography, United We Stand. Um, uh, we have remained terrific friends to this day. And one of the wonderful things that happened for me personally on memories is this guy will look, has gone down the history of Newcastle United and always will do, is a defender who scored a hat-trick in a European winning final over two legs. How impossible is that? And after we won in Budapest and he sparked and turned the whole game round in Budapest, because at half time, if you remember, we were 2-0 down, having won the first leg 3-0, so it was 3-2. And we were getting battered. It was his goal at the beginning of the second half that deflated Uspestosia and put us on the right foot to go on and win it. Afterwards, when we got back home, I was living down Whitley Bay at the time, and Bob said, look, well, I, and remember, we won it, Steve, in the middle of June. I mean, that's a nonsense. The end of the season in the middle of June. But it, that's how long it had taken that momentous season. So he said, look, I'll pop down on the on the Sunday. We'll have a couple of sherbets and a reminisce. And we sat out in the back garden. It was beautiful weather on a couple of deck chairs and we're reminiscing. And he said, oh, wait a minute. He said, and he nipped out the car that was parked out the front and got the trophy off the back seat, brought it brought it in, stuck it on the... On the um, on the lawn in the back and uh, we're sitting having a few sherbets and I suddenly look and Sally my little girl suddenly putting soil from the garden she was she was tiny into the top of this tulip based cup and I thought well this is a bit, this is quite sacrilege so we'll have to stop all that but it, it was a, a lovely moment that stayed with me because of course we've never won a trophy since never mind the European trophy but Bob Monker, for me, had to be in my side. Now, once I've done that, I'm looking at the other centre-half. What of your feelings, if you, and let me mention the sort of centre-halves that are still left, that would come into very serious consideration. Frank Brennan, Joe Harvey, of course, Philip Albert, Steve Howie, good enough to play for England, John McGrath, Jonathan Woodgate, what a talent he was. Paddy Howard. Uh, so there was quite a few to consider. There was a great temptation to put Frank Brennan there because of what he did in the 50s. And he was called the Rock of Gibraltar. That's how hard he was. Can you imagine him and Moncur's the two centre-halves? With, with they would have turned everybody ashen that played against them. The only trouble is, Steve, if they played together, they had as, as much uh, pace as a snail that's 
got a hiccup. I mean, there was, so I wasn't going to put them two together. And who I had to go for? I had to go for Prince Philippe, hadn't I? Philippe Albert. Because what sophistication, what quality, what audacity. And for me, when I did the greatest, 10 greatest goals I've seen Newcastle as a fan and as a hack, in his goal against Manchester United was voted by me as my number one goal for the sheer audacity of it, for the sheer beauty of it. And uh, how do you not put Philip Albert on your side if you're a lover of entertainment? And I am. And why can't we have a centre-half that entertains as well as defence? And Philip Albert did that. Yeah, superb uh, play on, a, of course, that goal he scored against Manchester United oh. in the 5-0 win is is iconic uh, these Absolutely. days, isn't it? Absolutely iconic. OK, great stuff. So, um, we've got uh, Albert alongside Bobby Moncur. And uh, who have we got on the left-hand side of this back four? Again, I can only go for one man. Uh, absolutely burnt into my memory of the great full-back partnerships of Newcastle United's Craig and Clark. Frank Clark is my Newcastle United left-back. Um, he did what was essential to be done in those days, which was you had to defend. And he was possibly the best defender I've ever seen. He got a nosebleed if he had to cross a halfway line, but he was absolutely terrified. In fact, he never did cross a halfway line. Uh, it, it, such thoughts absolutely frightened him to death. I mean, that was a, a swimming pool with sharks in it, the, the, the other side of the pitch. He never went there. Uh, but when you consider what a wonderful, wonderful player this guy was, uh, he had won... Uh, the FA Amateur Cup with Crook Town uh, at Wembley before he came to us. Um, he was working in the uh, REI at the time. Uh, he was a very intelligent boy, could have had a great career outside of football. Great local cricketer, loved it in the way that Bobby Robson did, played locally for, for club sides, played for Lintz up in, in Burnham Field. Um, had all the ability, almost didn't make it because he was cut in half. I think it was Tommy Smith that cut him off the Anfield IM and broke his leg and he was out for an absolute eternity before he had time to become a superstar. Um, always, <laughs> he, was, he always could turn his hand to anything. And I always remember when we played in the FA Cup final of 74 and we were down in, in Wembley uh, for a week before the final, which was agonizing because it was far far too long he brought his guitar with him and uh entertainment every night in the bar in the build-up to the cup final was frank clark singing peggy sue the old uh, buddy holly song on the on the uh, guitar and he he sang it rather wonderfully originally with uh, a lisp so it was peggy through peggy through peggy 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 through but um it was wonderful the first two nights. By the end of the week, we'll say, not bloody Peggy Sue again, for, for God's sake. But uh, that was him. And when he was disgracefully given a free transfer from Newcastle, simply because it was the time for his testimonial, 10 years service, and they didn't want him to have a testimonial, how mean was that? It, in his depths of despair, 
Doncaster Rovers, mm. Cluffy come in, took them down to Nottingham Forest. They won the second division championship. They won the first division championship and they won the European Cup. So here's a guy that's sitting there that won both European trophies, the first cup, which is the UEFA Cup later, with Newcastle and the big one with Forest. Not a bad career, that. No, not a bad career at all. Uh, so that's your goalkeeper and your back four set up. Uh, let's, get into, let's get into midfield, John. Uh, who's on the right-hand side of your midfield? Yeah, I've done it in a, basically a 4-4-2 formation, really. And the reason for me doing that so I can squeeze in all the guys that I want to squeeze in. Uh, in on the right-hand side, I think, was really the biggest uh, concern that I had. Um, on who to choose and it boiled down for me after everything else to a straight choice and a very narrow choice between two guys and it was Nobby Solano and Chris Waddle and it was a flick of a coin to play either of them because I rated them that highly uh, I knew both the guys well and had so much time for the pair of them Um the Waddler was never so wrongly named because he he was anything but a Waddler on the pitch. He he was he was he glided as a player. When he didn't have the ball, he looked like the hunchback of Notre Dame who had a call a, a sack of coal on his back. The minute the ball came to him, he glided. He was a wonderful, wonderful player. But there again, so was Nobby, who who served us on a couple of occasions. And because I was picking uh, the centre forward I was picking and I don't think uh, we need not name him yet because there's only one centre forward you could ever pick in the Newcastle side and that's Alan Shearer and Nobby was a great provider for Shearer which helped get him uh, into the side for me and so on the right wing uh, I would have Nobby Serrano Great stuff and, uh, Peruvian, Peruvian maestro and uh, not a bad trumpet player either I, that's that's absolutely true. Hey, we could have a, we could have a band here, Steve, because we've got Clarky on the guitar, we've got him on the trumpet. <laughs> uh, Super Mac banged the, the gong everywhere, blinking went. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a, there's a few there, John. I'm sure you would. I'm sure you could do the bongos or something or a tambourine. Oh, I, 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 could, yeah, yeah. I would definitely give that a go. I've been known when I've had a little bottle of white wine to give the bongos a white hammer. And <laughs> uh, so, so yes, I could. And you, you could promote us. I could do that. To, that's it. You, you could get us the gigs, pal. <laughs> that, that would be quite good. Now, my centre too, and yeah. I've cheated here because. I haven't put a defensive midfield player in. And if I was picking a side that was actually going to play, you need a defensive midfield. But I've, I wanted so many wonderful attackers who have entertained me and have a right to be in my side that I played attackers. And my answer to that is that the guys I've picked are so good on the ball, Steve, that the other side would never get the ball anyway. So we didn't have to have a defensive midfield player because these these guys could kick the ball all afternoon. My two in the centre of midfield, I've got are Peter Beardsley and Paul Gascon. Now, if you can do better than that, I'll stand tapping. I mean, Beardsley, for me, is the greatest player that's ever played for Newcastle United in terms of sheer ability. His 
ability was phenomenal. You could pick him as your top creator of goals and you could pick him as a natural, wonderful, inventive finisher. He could do both jobs. Normally, you have somebody do one job or the other job. Peter was quite capable of doing both jobs and doing them exceptionally well. If you remember the season, Andy Cole scored 41 goals um, to break the Newcastle record, and there was no penalties and no direct free kicks in that. There was 20-odd of those made by Beardsley, who then scored 21 himself as well. That's how good Peter Beardsley was. And the, the two interesting things I find with Peter in a unique career is that first and foremost, nobody wanted him. As a kid, he was at Walls End Boys Club, which is the greatest factory you can have for producing footballers. So immediately everybody's interested in you if you had Walls End Boys Club. He was at Walls End Boys Club, got touted around the country, and nobody was going to take He was small. They, they thought he was lightweight on the ball. You got people like Oxford United turning him down and saying, saying halfway through a trial period, go home, son, you're not going to make it. Can you imagine? Oxford United to this day must be covered in embarrassment that they said that about Peter Beardsley, what Peter turned out to be, when he come home uh, to Newcastle. I think he was sent home on a on a on a uh, he was given a lift halfway home and then had to get onto a, a train to go the rest of the way home. Nobody wanted him. The only reason he got into the Football League is Bob Monker, who would be playing behind him in this team. Bob Monker, when manager of Carlisle, um, played in a pre-season friendly, and Monks actually played in it, and Beardsley was in the other side, and he looked at Beardsley and said, hey, this fella is a different class. I must have I must sign him and take the kid up there. And he actually lived in Bob's house because Bob, Carlisle wouldn't pay for digs for Beardsley because they said, we're paying too many digs. We're not going to put him in digs. Where's he going to stay? You can't sign him if we've got to pay digs for him. So Bob said, well, I've got the answer to that. We haven't got to pay digs for him. Why is that? He said, because he'll live with me. And for six months, he lived with Bob in Bob's house. And, ironically, eventually married Bob's secretary, who who's his good lady wife, uh, to this day, of course. Uh, so it was quite a move from him, but he was, a, he was a fabulous, fabulous little player. And I remember, you know, when Kevin Keegan was, had his two-year stint at Newcastle as a player, in the first year he played alongside Ray, Ray Verardi, who scored an awful lot of goals, but his, his second touch was to try to trap the ball. He couldn't, he had no first touch whatsoever. Keegan, who liked to play quick, sharp football, ball to feet, ball to feet, ball to feet, said to Arthur Cox, look, this is not my, Ray's a decent enough player, but he's not my type of player. If I'm going to have a partnership, I need somebody that's good on the ball and we can play between us, defeat, defeat. So, he took that aboard. Verardi was sold. He was absolutely decimated. I remember being him being on the phone to me in tears because he had a go. But anyway, Arthur Cox went out to get the replacement. 
he went in training one day and he said to um, Kevin Keegan, he said, I've got the guy who's ideal for you. And um, KK said, oh, great, where's he? He said, over there. And KK told me, he said, I looked over and there's this little lad who, who looks about two foot six. He's got a baby face. He said, wait a minute, he is, he said, what they call Peter Beardsy, he said. He said, I've never heard him. He said, well, you won't have heard him because he's been playing for Vancouver Whitecaps. He said, surely he's not going to be the one that's going to do with me. He said, three days later, I haven't seen him on the training ground with me. I felt, oh, 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 oh this is the guy. And, and not only was he wonderful with Keegan that season, but what did Keegan do when he took over as manager and building the entertainers? First thing he did was go out and get Beardsley. That's how good Beardsley was. The fella alongside him, Gaza, I mean, come on. Uh, that's a no-brainer. Paul Gascoigne, Jordy, greatest Jordy of his era, without a shadow of doubt. Uh, and we've had some wonderful Jordies, and he's up there with one of the truly wonderful Jordies, Bobby Charlton, as is an absolute sensation. We all know the stories of Gaza. There's no need to go into them here, except to say that he was the second coming of the clown prince of soccer. That's exactly what he was. The original one was Len Shackleton, who was uh, my very, very good mate. And during the European Face Cup, I used to room with him on a, away trips because Shaq was part of the um, the hacks pack, if you like. And um, I remember I had a lot to do with Shaq. They reminded me so much of Gaza. Um we went to Las Vegas together, Len Shack and I, and uh, he he had a few quid. He'd, he played over there with Sunderland, and he um, had kept his money out there that he made from that tour because all the clubs in America paid him special money to play in the game. They wanted to play Sunderland, but they wanted to see Shaq. So he turned out in this wonderful uh, Lamy-type suit every night, knocked on my door, monogrammed shirt on, etc., etc. Come on, Gibbo, we're going out. He took me to see Judy Garland, Sammy Davis Jr., etc., etc., every night. Um, that's the sort of guy he was. And he had a trick in the bar. He used to take a, a, a dollar out of his pocket. He said to me, Gibbo, just keep talking to me. I'm just going to do something. But don't make a fuss about it. He flicked the dollar up in the air and stuck his foot out and it came down and landed on his instep. He held it there for a few seconds while I had a drink out my drink. And then he just casually flicked it up in the air again, bent forward and it dropped in his top pocket. When he did that for three successive times, the whole bar was captivated. We never paid for a drink the rest of the trip in Vegas because everybody, and they nicknamed him Yorkshire, the, the Americans, because that's where he came from, and the boat with drinks uh, all night long. He he was a, a special guy. If you remember, on his debut for Newcastle, how about this, on his debut for Newcastle, he scored six and he wasn't an out-and-out -out striker. Mm -hmm. He was basically a midfield player. He scored six on his debut. We beat Newport County by 13. And before anybody thinks, well, who the heck are Newport County these days? This was in the league. They were in the same division as us. This wasn't in the FA Cup like Newcastle and Elford. This was in the same division. He was the original uh, clown prince of soccer and Gaza 
was the, the new guy that uh, inherited that. Wonderful, wonderful player, Gaza with a heart of gold. Where the, the problems he's had since, I just don't like to dwell on because it's so awful, it's so self-inflicted, it's so inflicted by hangers-on around him that I just wish him all the best for him. And yeah. I treasure, as so many Newcastle fans and so many England fans and so many fans across the world, because believe you me, how popular he was in Italy when I went and stayed with him for four days in Rome when he was playing uh, for Lazio. And he, his height of popularity was phenomenal. So he's in there, which leaves me needing a left winger. And, um, I mean, the wingers that I had considered, before I tell you the left winger, Bobby Mitchell, 412 games for Newcastle. You have to say that he, how he's left out, it's just because we can't field two teams. Waddle, as I've mentioned, uh, there's Robert, there's Gillespie, there's Jimmy Scott. But this guy, uh, Ginola, he's the epitome of cool. I mean, he is Mr. Cool, uh, the absolute epitome of cool. Uh, I don't think I ever saw him with a hair out of place, and that was even during a match. Uh, it just didn't happen. Um, and I always remember at the time when he signed for us, I used to smoke at the time, as so many people did. I gave it up after the Olympics in Sydney in 2000 because the ban of smoking indoors was just about to come in. It was already in in Australia where I was out there in Sydney for the Olympics. And so I realised that smoking was going to become more and more difficult. Now also I was going greyer and greyer and coughing more and more. So I decided that was it. But when, it, when I went to interview Ginola on his arrival at Newcastle on a one-to-one, -one, um, he came in so flamboyant. He'd ordered, he wouldn't just do an interview standing inside St. James's, he'd ordered one of the boxes upstairs, the private boxes, to be opened and for cups of coffee and, 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 and um, biscuits and everything to be delivered up there. And he had this uh, hold-all with him, popped it down, says, excuse me, you don't mind if I, if I smoke, John, do you? And he took this hugely long French cigarette out and lit it up. And I thought, baby, you'll do for me. Because I was a smoker and I was desperate to have one. And here he is saying, you don't mind if I do it. And if it was good enough for Jackie Milburn to smoke in the uh, dressing rooms at Wembley in the three cup finals, it was good enough for Ginola. I always said... The one thing that Ginola didn't do, because he was an artist, he wouldn't do the dirty work. He wouldn't get his knees dirty. He was never going to track back with anybody. And I always used to laugh to Bez and say, Bez, I'm, I'm convinced. I can't quite remember. But when you first signed for us, did were you six foot three and you become five foot three through playing behind Ginola and, and having to do the extra work because he just didn't, he didn't feed back? But a uh, wonderful, wonderful artist felt let down in the end and he left us in, under a bit of a cloud and it was a shame. But Barcelona had been in to sign Ginola and Kevin Keegan persuaded Ginola not to go to Barcelona and said, there's no need to go. You stay here. What we are building here is unique. And it did look unique. Uh, it was the entertainers at the height, etc., etc. He said, 
you stay here, we'll win the Premier League, we'll overtake Manchester United, we'll win everything. You're already a hero here, you don't need Barca. So he turned down Barca, and within six months of turning down Barca, Kevin Keegan got on his toes and left. And he never forgave KK for persuading him to stay and not go to Barcelona and then disappear in himself. And that was tough. But Ginola gets my left-wing spot, which only leaves me with um, two attackers, my friend. Yep, two forwards, mate. And um, I'll be surprised if I'd got these wrong, to be honest. Who's your first one? <laughs> yes, I think you would. The, the choice is pretty good, as you know, Steve, uh, beyond the two. But uh, for me, there was only going to ever be two. It it will surprise you, no doubt, to, to know that the number one uh, centre-forward is Alan Shearer. Um, what a surprise that's turned out to be. Uh, he is one of the musts on the list. Um, I mean, my musts on the list, which I must have Shearer, I must have Beardsley, I must have Gascoigne, I must have Shea Given, and I must have Frank Clough. And this guy still holds the goal-scoring record, uh, for Newcastle um, and will probably hold it for as long as time exists because how many people will be around long enough at one club these days and score the number of goals he scores and be happy to stay here because as a Geordie he was he sacrificed medals to come to Newcastle and become the greatest goal scorer this club's ever known in 130 years a terrific finisher um, a man who was so close to Jack Hickson, the guy that discovered him, who is a Geordie who worked in the Central Station, worked for British Rail in the Central Station at Newcastle, built up this amazing career of finding wonderful, wonderful talents. And although Jack Hickson was a Newcastle United fan, he only worked for Newcastle right at the end of his life when Shearer was the superstar centre-forward. Before that, he worked mainly for Burnley, he worked for Southampton, he worked for all sorts of clubs before he ever got to Newcastle. And he was the guy that took Alan Shearer away to the south coast to sign for Southampton, where at 17 he made his debut against Arsenal and scored a hat-trick. That told the whole world what we were about to get. The wonderful thing was at Jack's funeral, um, a special, special moment for me on Jack's funeral down in Colour Coast. Uh, everybody that he knew in football, he had his family asked for three people to talk from the pulpit at a packed uh, church. One was Alan Shearer beyond anybody because I, he was like a second father to Alan. One was Larry McMenemy, the manager at Southampton when uh, Jack Hickson was scout there and when... Uh, shortly after taking Alan down to that club. Uh, and there, there was myself, and it was a, a special moment. And Jack always said to me, the epitome for me would be if when my two great finds, centre-forward finds, play for England together in partnership. And he meant Alan Shearer and Michael Bridges. And uh, that would have happened, I think, without a shadow of doubt, had Bridges not got the, the severest of injuries when he was at Leeds. But uh, Alan Shearer, without doubt, is my number one. And my number two centre-forward to go alongside him 
bit of a surprise uh, to all of us. Super Mac. Was I ever not going to pick Malcolm McDonald? Dear, dear mate. Um, but it's not a matter of nepotism and just looking after a good mate. He is a number nine legend every bit as much as she was. My tragedy and I thought of trying to do it was that there's three number nine legends I would love to have played in the other is Wall Jackie, who became a very close friend of mine as well. I ghosted several of his books when I was a young reporter. I actually thought of playing him at outside right ahead of Solano and Waddle because he was an outside right at St. James's Park before he was converted. Um, but I felt I was pushing my luck a little bit and dragging us back into the 50s, which was a, a bit harsh to, to dwell in it too long. But Supermac, I mean, dear, oh dear. Uh, his nickname alone tells you enough. I mean, Super Mac, you can't get anything much better than that. And alongside Shearer, they would complement each other so much because Super Mac so quick. The one thing Alan Shearer didn't have was pace. You put pace alongside him, and you've got then some partnership, haven't you? Um, and they would have been a terrific partnership together. Supermax, a, a very special man in my life. I was best man at his wedding to Carol. Uh, <clears throat> when I I was so close to him when he was a player here, got myself in awful trouble with managers like Gordon Lee that didn't rate Supermax and was very cynical towards me because I did rate Supermax. Um, but hey, that's the way it is. SAS forward line, uh, Shearer and Supermac. I don't think uh, uh, you can beat that. Though, funny enough, Shearer liked SAS uh, partnerships because he had, he had Shearer and Sheringham, if you remember, with England. Um, so SNS fit in. He also had Shearer and Sutton at Blackburn when they, when they won the title. So SAS partnerships are terrific. But uh, I think that is quite a useful team. And if they could have all played in that pump, and um, you know, obviously, they didn't quite all uh, come to their pump together. Monks was from the original age, and perhaps Greg Clark as well. But that is a, a great, great sign. And my only consolation is that the ones that I felt embarrassed at having to leave out because I could only pick 11, I quite quickly shoveled them onto my subs bench, Steve. <laughs> I did notice that. So, uh, <laughs> give us your give us your first uh, sub, John. Yeah, I had to go for Wall Jackie because I'm embarrassed to this day that, that Wall Jackie didn't make the side. Because uh, I mean, what 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 a player! He epitomises everything you want a Geordie to be: modest, fleet of foot. I mean, he, his initials were Jet J E T, uh, John Edward. Thompson, Milburn, and if anybody, I mean, Mum must have realised uh, exactly what she what she was doing when she named Jackie Jet, because that is how quick he was. Embarrassingly modest, won the FA Cup three times in five years in the early fifties, and Newcastle haven't won a domestic trophy since. He speaks for himself. First on the team sheet, I've also gone because I like entertaining players and that means in the main forward players I had to go for for Les Ferdinand Ferdy is uh, well his partnership when we're talking about partnerships Shearer and Supermac his partnership with Shearer 
everybody said when Shearer come to the club and Ferdy was already here, they'll never play together. They're both target men. They'll both want to make the same ones. They will never dovetail. They dovetailed magnificently and scored a pile of goals. And if you remember that wonderful match when we beat Man United 5 and it was topped off with Albert's goal, uh, was so wonderful because we were beating Ferguson uh, and we were beating this side that tormented us and prevented us two successive seasons from winning the Premier League title. And Shearer and Ferdinand were in that and both scored. And there's no surprise that Ferdy did exactly that. Rob Lee, who was the greatest friend of Shearer, they went on holiday together. Midfielder, absolutely wonderful. Not pacey, but he didn't have to be because quickness of thought, his ability with his feet. The famous story, you know, when Keegan persuaded him that Newcastle was closer to London than Middlesbrough, who wanted to sign them at the time, and, and Lee actually fell for that. Though, to be truthful, uh, KK was meaning to fly to it, and Newcastle's on a direct route in Middlesbrough. But what a signing Rob Lee was for us. I couldn't leave out Tony Green, and the reason for that is because it's one of the most wonderful talents I've ever seen. He only played 20-odd times for Newcastle because he was cut down in his prime with an awful, awful injury that, that finished him. And what a tragedy that was for him. But what a tragedy for Newcastle fans who were deprived of one of the greatest talents it was possible to see. When you saw him on a Saturday afternoon, you were privileged to watch a silky smooth operator. When you saw Monday to Friday on the training ground, you thought you'd have to go in an iron lung at the end of training because he was at the back of the running. He used to be up at Benwell at Vickers Armstrong's old um, uh, cricket ground at the time and they used to lap Joe Harvey being um, a sergeant major type, which he literally was. They used to lap the cricket ground at the start of training and, and uh, Tony was always at the back of the group gasping for air and looking absolutely horrible throwing a ball and it was wonderful but then Supermac who on cross country runs was at the back because he was a sprinter so he was in good company um, Bobby Mitchell's on there because quite frankly he was the original uh, Bobby Dazzler, that was his nickname he was a Bobby Dazzler, he won three FA Cups uh, with Newcastle alongside Melbourne at the beginning of the 50s. Um, one of the extra, extra uh, special players of, of that time. 412 appearances for Newcastle, tells you everything. Terry McDermott, got to be in there. Box to box. Uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, player. Went on with Liverpool to win European Cups, to play for England, uh, to do everything. And top and tail his career with Newcastle. When he first came during Joe Harvey, he was a complete unknown out of Bury that came to Newcastle, did so well, was our star man in the 74 Cup final. Not that he had much opposition because we didn't have many stars that day, but he was the star man that day. Liverpool immediately wanted to sign him, take him back home. Of course, he went there, won all the trophies, when he when uh, when KK he was back at Newcastle to play with KK at the end of his time, McDermott, 
who then incidentally went and played for Tommy Cassidy, my old mate over in Cyprus, to end his career. And of course, when KK came back here, he decided that he wanted his gopher with him. His gopher was Terry Mack. And all of a sudden, Terry Mack become an established piece of the furniture as backup to so many Newcastle United managers. And off the top of your head, it started with KK and it went on to Dalglish and it went on to Souness and it went on to Sam Allardyce and it went on to Rode. He has been he has been a Newcastle United servant for so, so long, having a tough time of it at the moment and all our thoughts go out to, to Terry Mack, who's a lovely, lovely man. Chris Waddle had to be in there. I almost put him in the team. Uh, he was a, a, a great player at the time when he came through when Newcastle's forward line was Waddle, Beardsley and Keegan. That's, and they talk about playing with false number nines these days. There was no number nine there. When we played those three up front, there wasn't an orthodox centre forward there at all. They just interwoven and, and did wonderfully, wonderfully well. He was a throwback to the old age, you know, Stephen. He used to go home... Uh, on the bus, he used to walk down to Marlborough Crescent after playing for Newcastle first team, walk down to Marlborough Crescent, get on the bus. He said he used to go upstairs and he used to buy the football pink. So he, not necessarily so he could read what Gibbo was saying, so he could hold it in front of his face so nobody would recognise him. And he'd be sitting in the bus with, with this uh, pink right up in front of his face and he could hear everybody talking uh, about himself. Hey, that Waddle is a decent player, right? But uh, he, he, but uh, he could do a little bit more work off the ball. And when he hasn't got the ball, he, he, he looks uh, deformed. But when he's got the ball, what a good player. And he, he was a throwback because he, he went along the felling, bypassing away off home. Willie McFall has got to be the goalkeeper that I put on the bench. I, I realise even an attacker like me, and there he is with Mirror, the first ever Brazilian to play in the Football League, and it happened to be with Newcastle. The interesting thing there, Miro was the first ever Brazilian to play in the Football League, and it happened to be with Newcastle. We've now got two, of course, with uh, with Bruno and Joe Linton. And that deal then, that was when Willie McFall was manager and signed Mirandina. The agent that acted for Mirandina in that transfer was Malcolm McDonald. So the, the, the links just keep coming up. Willie McFall, wonderful goalkeeper, so long as a goalkeeper with uh, Newcastle United. It was very unlucky that he didn't win a bag full of, of non-Ireland national caps, but Pat Jennings happened to be around at the time, so he didn't. And he's one of the longest servers ever at Newcastle because he never left the club. Having been a goalkeeper, he went on the coaching side, coached at all levels all the way through and ended up as manager. And I always remember phoning him up the day he was appointed manager for the first time. And I said, uh, Willie, um, Gibbo, yeah. I, said, yeah, I said, you've just made your first step today towards the sack. And he said, thanks very much, Gibbo. I said, hey, listen, you had a job for life, pal, on the coaching side. When you become manager, your time's limited. When Leeds can sack Cluffy after 42 games or, or 42 days... When it's inevitable that you're going to get the sack, all managers do get the sack, and sure enough, he did. But he's been a wonderful servant, faithful to us to these days. And the, I suddenly looked at all those subs, and I had to pick me last one. 
And I realized outside of Mac Fall, everybody is an attacker. So mm -hmm. I thought, I've got to have one defender on the bench. So I thought, ah, my mate Irving that was. Because he can play all the way along the back four. He can play right back, either centre-half, left back. And as it happens, he could play defensive midfield as well. So he's in to cover every defensive position that's possible. And also, by the way, lovely to watch because his touch was second to none. Uh, a good pal, as I said at the time, him and, and Bob were God uh, godfathers to a couple of me girls. So um, I've got to put them somewhere along the line. But he is one of the great, along with Pop Robson, he is the best Newcastle player never to win a full England cap because both of them thoroughly deserve that. So that completes the bench and leaves one position to go, I think, Stephen. It does, I. And uh, when you sent us the email through uh, to confirm, you were still <laughs> in a bit of you were still in a bit of a dilemma. You give us three names and you couldn't separate the three. So what have you ended up doing, John? For the manager, this is, of course. For the manager, uh, I would love to field all three, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to cheat by having a manager and two assistant managers because that would be uh, a little bit naughty. Um, let me tell you the three of which is no surprise to anybody, including our our uh, listeners here. Uh, the three are inevitably Joe Harvey, Kevin Keegan, and uh, Sir Bobby Robson. Uh, we've had some dross as managers in my time. By Joe Abwood, that list. Uh, you, you know, if you pick your worst Newcastle side, uh, and then you with subs, and then your worst manager. I mean, I would have to stay up for a fortnight on the worst manager because there's so many would qualify for a position. These are the only three really to qualify for the manager's job. I would love to have made it Kevin Keegan because of his philosophy and his, the way he bought players and the good eye he had for talent. Bobby Robson, a lovely, warm, gorgeous bloke. Uh, I had so much time from knew him from his days at Ipswich. Went out and stayed with him in Porto for four days when he was manager out there uh, and had the, the great philosophy as well. But at the end of the day, I've had to go for Joe Harvey because I've got to remember one thing. Newcastle United have been devoid of trophies for far, far, far too long. I mean, we're devoid of them. They're, they're in Bedded in my memory, the dates. That's how long ago it is. 1927, the league. 1955, the F a domestic trophy. 1969, any major trophy. That is enormous. And this guy is... It's staggering to think that as good as Keegan and Bobby Robson were, we still never won a trophy under them. We finished second top of the Premier League and third top of the Premier League. And my Jove... Is that good or is that good? But we never actually won a trophy. This guy came to Newcastle, Harvey, when we were at the, the lowest ebb possible. He won the second division championship, not finishing second or third or anywhere, the championship to take us up. He built three sides, the side that won the second division championship, the side that won the European First Cup and the side that played in the 74 FA Cup final. All successful. He won for Newcastle the second division championship, the Anglo-Italian trophy, 
which takes some doing, we beat the likes of Roma and Fiorentina, both away to win that, which takes an awful lot of doing. He won the Anglo-Scottish Cup, which was called the Texaco Cup, twice. He won the greatest trophy we've ever had in terms of the only European trophy we've ever had, and he took it to the FA Cup final. No relegations in that record at all. And on top of that, this is the guy who captained us in 51-52 the FA Cup uh, winning sides and was a coach in 55. Now, if you pick any great Newcastle side, and that is his record, and you don't put him in there somewhere, there's something dreadfully wrong. So, Joe, loved you to death, my old friend. You're my manager. Fantastic. Great team. Uh, given in goal, back four of Craig, Albert, Moncur and Clark. Midfield of Solano, Beardsley, Gaza and Ginola. And up front, no surprise really, Shearer and Supermac. And on the bench, we had Melbourne, Les Ferdinand, Robley, Chris Waddle, Tony Green, um, Terry McDermott, Irvin Natras, Willie McFall. And the manager eventually whittled down to the man who uh, won us trophies. Uh, Joe Harvey. Uh, John, uh, absolutely fantastic team that. I'm just going to give a shout out to the sponsors. Big thank you to Spider VPN uh, and Spider Miner. They give you worldwide coverage. They are the boys to trust. Thanks to skipsandbins.com. Telephone 0800 25 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website www.skipsandbins.com. Easy contract free and pay as you go waste collection. Thanks to LNG Family Funeral Directors, 01913897245. And the Garden of Healing Dispensary, CBD Hemp and Cannabinoid Specialists, www.thegohd.com. Thanks to qtechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls and Newcastle. And the guys who uh, run our website, nufcmatters.com. Thanks also to Kleekai, the new game over screen. Drop into a Klee Run device near you, available on Apple Store, Google Play, and Kleerun.game. Thanks to Jab Signature, jabsignature.co.uk, and Media Arts for all the help with the video side of things. Uh, Newcastle Legends logo in the bottom right hand corner is what you need to tap to subscribe. We do seven shows a week. Well worth subscribing to. Hit the thumb up to like the videos. Click share to share to your social media and drop into the comments section to speak to like-minded Newcastle fans. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast providers. Always goes up 24 hours after the show. And if you want to become a member, put your phone camera over this QR code. Takes you straight to the website or go to nufcmatters.com and look for membership and you will get a pen, a cup and a scarf and a membership card and entry into the monthly draw. And if you're a subscriber, don't forget you can apply for a car sticker. Just go to nufcmatters.com and find out more. Supermac, who was mentioned in John's team, uh, often does the pre-match and after-match at the Dog and Parrot. Five minutes walk from Central Station, so get yourself along to meet Malcolm for free. Uh, great beer, great food, and uh, a pool table. Kids are welcome on match days. And don't forget... We also support the food bank on here and UFC fans. Foodbank.co.uk make a donation uh, virtually via the match day bucket that's uh, available to use 365 days of the year. John, uh, delighted to have done that with you. I uh, hope it got. I uh, hope it gave you as much pleasure as I'm sure it gives everybody at home watching, mate. It certainly did. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do it, Steve. It was a lovely trip down memory lane. Uh, 
there wasn't much glint of silverware in the recent times walking down that lane, but it was a good bit of fun. And there is, let me reiterate, maybe Trippier, maybe Byrne, maybe Bruno will be in a future Newcastle United Dream Eleven. I would certainly hope so. Here's hoping. John Gibson, thanks very much, mate. Take care. All the best, fella. Take care. Bye-bye.